Listeners be advised. This series contains conversations about mental health, trauma, sexual abuse, gun violence, and racism. Thank you for the opportunity to address you today. My name is LaShawn Francis, and I'm with Children Now. Today, I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about where we think the gaps still are in the most recent round of amendments. It's August in Sacramento, and LaShawn Francis is speaking to the State Assembly's Health and Housing Committee. The bill, as it stands, still leaves out key populations and continues to ignore the impact the overall changes will have on children. She's arguing against a bill that would reallocate a portion of state mental health funding that communities across California have depended on for almost two decades. But our experience in the last 20 years, combined with the new programmatic pressures this bill presents, has proven that greater protections for kids are needed. This is the same fight we've been talking about in previous episodes. Lastly, we are requesting a set-aside for unaccompanied youth under homelessness. And that statement gets to the heart of the battle. The Mental Health Services Act, or MHSA, places a 1% tax on million-dollar incomes to fund community programs, including prevention and early intervention. Now, the state wants to use some of that money to create beds for people who are chronically homeless. And LaShawn sees a problem in the bill. It's described as, and I quote, 50% shall be used for housing interventions for persons who are chronically homeless, with a focus on those in encampments, end quote. We know that people in encampments tend to be adults. There is a set-aside, just not one for youth. From the California Panethnic Health Network, you're listening to A Right to Heal, a podcast about health equity in California. I'm your host, Akintunde Ahmad. As the battle over the MHSA goes on, it's worth noting that a key component of the law has always been prevention and early intervention. Today, we hear from two advocates for kids about where we're going wrong and what's at stake. The politicians have presented us with a false choice. That's LaShawn Francis again. Senior Director of Behavioral Health at Children Now, a research, policy, and advocacy group. The way it has been framed or the way folks are talking about it is that we have to choose homelessness or prevention and earlier intervention, right? That is the frame. And that's just simply not true. There is really a big gap in understanding that the politics of the day plays a bigger role than folks realize, because no one is saying children should not be funded. No one is saying that. But what they are saying is we're getting more political pressure from constituents, from big city mayors, whomever, to get rid of our visible homelessness problem. LaShawn says lawmakers aren't just putting politics before programs. They're also getting the nature of mental health care backwards. We all understand that over a 30-year time frame, the less we invest in prevention, the more we're investing in these negative adult outcomes like homelessness. Homelessness is important. That is obvious. We see it on the streets. But we shouldn't be paying for homelessness at the expense of children and youth, especially because we don't have to. There are at least three different ways that I can think of just off the top of my brain 
on how to do both of those things. One is you could increase the tax. It is a millionaire's tax. So maybe in 2005, it was a good idea to do 1% of a million plus. But maybe in 2023, we need to be thinking about 2% or 3%, given how much more of an income gap we've seen since 2005 to 2023. LaShawn said as much to lawmakers in August. That what we're actually saying is that while nothing in the bill requires a cut to services, intellectual honesty would have us admitting that by not increasing the 1% tax and adding additional pressures to counties, both political and fiscal, will amount in cuts to services. We're asking you not to mortgage our future to do so. Californians want our children to be taken care of, regardless of where they sit on the political spectrum. When I think about it from that perspective, by and large, California is not doing well. LaShawn is speaking particularly about the last three years. We have seen our rate of suicides increase amongst young people since the pandemic, particularly amongst Black youth. We have seen our overdose rates triple in the last five to seven years. And so while you know, we may or may not be doing better than other states. I will say that I think we have different expectations of what it means to be doing well here. And we are not following through or we are not achieving those expectations for most constituents. I spent a lot of this year speaking with local mental health service providers and learning about community programs. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with LaShawn was to get a better sense of what state level advocacy looks like. So the first thing come January, when the governor puts out his budget, we are looking at where are kids? How do they fit into this budget, right? Are kids present? If they are present, in what capacity? Are we spending the money on the right things? Is this what we've heard from communities that they should be spending the money on? Then you have your legislative cycle, and we are often sponsoring bills. And we are bringing bills forward that we've heard people, communities say would be good for children. That's a question she's always asking when she talks policy with state officials. Who asked for this? Any initiative that we run at Children Now, any bill, you can ask me who asked for this and I can tell you exactly who asked for it, right? I can say, oh, parents asked for this. These are the parents. (laughs) Youth asked for this. These are the youth. I remember having an experience where I went to a community meeting in my community And I came in really expecting to talk about Medi-Cal and coverage and all the things Medi-Cal wasn't doing and all the things that it could be doing, because obviously that is the issue of the day. And almost every adult in there was a parent and they spent all of their time talking about how the neighborhood didn't have enough streetlights and their kids were walking home from school in the dark in the wintertime or in the fall, and it wasn't safe. And it was just such a a moment for me that reinforced the fact that obviously medical coverage is important and obviously having access to healthcare is important, but if you're not going into communities and asking them what they consider to be health, what they consider to be healthy, you're gonna miss some very basic things like, hey, streetlights are fundamental to our feeling of safety. Today, we're talking about kids. And you can't talk about kids without talking about schools. And I remember one day my husband at the time went to go pick Brandon up from school. And Brandon was in 
third grade at the time. That's Licia Harrison, founder of Be Smooth Inc., a nonprofit in Stockton aimed at countering social inequity, mental illness, and violence. She's talking about her son. And when my husband got to the school, Brandon's desk was outside of the classroom. The teacher had taken his desk and put it outside. That incident, 17 years ago, informed Licia's professional life. Like, why would you put my son's desk outside? You know, separate him from the class. So, of course, you know, I called a meeting. Hello, Mrs. Harrison. Did you want to speak to? Yes. (laughs) Get them on the phone. (laughs) Licia says the incident with Brandon's desk opened her eyes. That often, people who work with youth from marginalized groups have a fundamental misunderstanding of who they're dealing with. Because we have teachers that are working with kids that are coming from impoverished neighborhoods. High crime have been exposed to directly, indirectly, to some pretty significant trauma incidents. And we have teachers that act like they have no concept or comprehension of why this child is acting up. And their response or reaction is to be punitive. I would just be amazed if this child showed up for school. A lot of Licia's work now involves creating environments where kids can speak up and be heard. Um, we want to pass it to uh, Alicia Harrison, who's the founder, the executive director, um, who's just going to share with us why we're here, and then we're going to jump into some real good conversation. On a stormy Thursday night in March, Licia facilitates a listening session in Stockton to hear from young people about what kind of support they need to navigate their communities and their own mental health. 36 kids show up. More than Licia expected. Within this room, we're not asking for first names. We're not asking for last names. We really want to hear from you your truth about how you feel about your mental well-being. So we had the listening session, and that was for youth ages 12 to 26 to participate in. Um, so everybody just kind of chime in. Um, No consequences for answering honestly. So, what do you think are some of the main reasons young people use drugs? Depression. Depression? Anxiety. Anxiety, okay. Not in a good headspace. Not in a good headspace, okay. And we wanted to hear from youth their experiences with mental health, substance abuse, and juvenile justice if they've been impacted by that system. So, okay, last question, last question. So, what do you think you need in order to take care of your own mental well-being so that you feel like, you know, you're, you're good? What do you need? Individually, what do you need? Community. 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 Okay. I saw a hand over here. I saw someone to listen. Somebody to listen. Okay. 
Somebody on your side? Interestingly enough, one of the things that the youth said that they wanted is they wanted a home-cooked meal. I asked one of the youth, like, what do you want? And he wanted chicken fettuccine. And that's what I made. Chicken fettuccine, garlic bread, salad. (laughs) Licia became a social worker in 2007. She's been a crisis clinician for San Joaquin County Behavioral Health Services and a clinical supervisor for Stockton's Pride Center. Now, she's a therapist in private practice. She moved to Stockton 30 years ago and has seen the changes up close. When my kids were teenagers, there was the summer youth program. And that was a great way for youth as young as 14 to get into a job placement during the summer and earn money. I think I just asked someone last week, is the summer youth program ever going to come back? Like, where is the funding for that? Like most everyone running a community-based organization, funding takes up a lot of Lysia's bandwidth. And one of the big challenges is actually getting state money into the hands of local providers. There's funding for community health workers. There's funding for violence intervention programs. But the hiccup in all of this seems to be that no one has quite yet figured out how exactly to get reimbursed for providing these services. This is the state Medi-Cal funding. The state of California has provided the funding, but they've provided no direct guidance, or I don't even think there's actually a process in place at this point in which you can bill for these funds. A lot of the people I talked with this year brought up snags related to Medi-Cal billing that made their already difficult jobs even harder and even threatened services. The issue also came up in Sacramento last month when LaShawn Francis, whom you heard earlier, talked with lawmakers about it. There are things that Medi-Cal can pay for that we're not using Medi-Cal for, and that has to be fixed. So what do we need to do to to actually make it so we can use more Medi-Cal? A lot of that is tied to the administrative burden that small organizations find with trying to build Medi-Cal and try to work through that really quagmire of a system. Licia founded Be Smooth Inc. in 2018 because she knows firsthand what's at stake for young people in her community. Brandon was always a very charming, very, very smart child. The name Be Smooth was meant as a tribute to Brandon after the worst day of her life, the day he was killed with a gun. Be Smooth Inc. is his legacy. That's how Be Smooth came to be, to honor the work that he had started. Brandon Harrison was a community organizer, youth justice, social justice, movement builder, and he was really focused on disrupting the schools to prison pipeline. And one of the things that he would always say to friends, family, when getting off the phone was, be smooth. Licia says Brandon could be a handful, too. He would be suspended from school sometimes and then get frustrated when teachers wouldn't let him make up his work. Because I'm a social worker, right? I would 
talk to him about the disproportionality experienced within systems that affect us all, whether it was education, child welfare, the criminal justice, juvenile justice, all of these systems and the overlap between them and how it impacted black and brown people in a disproportionate manner. When Brandon started attending college, he was a voracious reader and excelled as a writer. But he had a lot of self-doubt about his ability to be successful. And we had a conversation one day, and he just really shared how those experiences in elementary school and high school really caused him to doubt his ability and the level of intelligence that he had. Before the interview with Licia ended, she remembered the day Brandon thanked her in a social media post for lifting him up when he didn't believe in himself. He wrote, It was my mom made me believe that I was smarter than what I thought I was. Thanks for listening today. Coming up... Peer support isn't a clinical intervention, but all I'm hearing today is clinicians, behavioral health services, and then they also showed who those clinicians are. They're mostly white folks, right? That's the majority, and that's not what California looks like. And... The health of the land and the water, the mountains, the oceans, are our health. If the natural world in our region is not well, then we can't be fully well. On the next episode of A Right to Heal. A Right to Heal is a production of Studio to Be Seattle for the California Panethnic Health Network. The series is produced by Akintunde Ahmad, Trey Bundy, and Chloe Behrens. Trey Bundy is our editor. Mixing and sound design by Alec Cowan. Original music by Elena Penderhughes. Carolina Valle and Mihe Jung Lozano are executive producers for the California Panethnic Health Network. Joaquin Alvarado is executive producer for Studio to Be Seattle. See you next time.